when that MRI came back and um, I had six new lesions, um, my doctor broke up with me. <laughs> he said, your MS is at the point where you need to go back and see a specialist. Now he wanted to be a specialist in MS and he was very passionate about MS, but his practice, the group that he was with, the group of neurologists didn't allow that. So he had mm-hmm. to be like a general neurologist. And so he referred me back to an MS clinic. And, um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I started going there after I had finished that round of steroids and, um, my friend Vita and I, um, started looking into me getting into one of the studies for HSCT. And so she called Seattle where she had had her study. Cause she knew the studies were still ongoing there, told them about me. And they said, okay, well, we're not actively recruiting, but Chicago is. And they gave her the direct phone number for Dr. Burt's office. Hello. And welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life life. And that is what thriving means to me. But what thriving means to each person is different. And that's what we explore on this show. My core values are growth and humor. So my goal is to learn a bit and enjoy ourselves while we're building community. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back? by finding our joy. Are you a spoonie? How about a snowflake? Are you really a warrior? I don't know if I fall into any of those categories some days. I do try, but our guests today sure are warriors in my book. Cassidy and Julie have had stem cell treatments. HSCT. If you haven't heard about this, it is quite a wild ride. These are the strongest women that you will ever hear from. I cannot wait to share their journey with you. Come along as we chat it up with Cassidy and Julie. everybody and welcome to Thriving Over Surviving. Today I'm talking to Cassidy Chapman and Julie Eberhardt um, about their journeys with multiple sclerosis. Cassidy, I'd love for you to start off um, and tell us a little bit about um, your diagnosis story. Um, kick us off, right? Okay. Well, on January 26th, I had a regular doctor's appointment and went in and had expressed concern. Um, it was a Monday and had expressed concern because the previous Friday, well, I was in my first year of law school and the previous Friday in class, my speech was really slurred. And, um, over the weekend, I noticed that the left side of my face wasn't moving and I was particularly self-conscious about it because it was almost my birthday and we were going to have a big thing for my birthday. And so I had this regular doctor's appointment on Monday, went in, showed them what was going on with my face. And they said, they thought that it was probably Bell's palsy, but sent me to an urgent care. 
Um, the urgent care doctor asked me to stick my tongue out. My tongue stuck straight to the left, not straight out. And yeah, so um, he actually jumped back, hit his head on the wall and said, you need to immediately, immediately go to the ER. I think you've had a stroke. And okay. so I was rushed to the ER by a friend and um, <clears throat> ended up, you know, being admitted, um, had a CT that night. They saw something. It definitely wasn't a stroke, but they didn't know what it was. So they wanted to do further testing. And so on the next day, I did have an MRI. You know, there were blood tests, you know, various different things. I did not have a spinal tap um, at that appointment. Um, but by the end of the day, um, on the 27th, um, the doctors with all the med students, cause it was a teaching university came in and my friends were visiting me at that time too. So I had several friends in my room cause my birthday was the next day. And so we're kind of like, Oh, am I going to be out? Like, am I healthy? What's going to happen with my birthday? And, um, told me that I had MS and fortunately I was at least familiar with MS because a friend's mother was diagnosed when we were babies. And okay. so, um, I grew up knowing about MS, um, but honestly, at the time I thought, oh, I'd rather have, have this be a stroke because, you know, it, it would be a little bit easier to treat and to manage versus I know, you know, MS obviously is a lifelong thing. And, you know, so this was back in 2004, January 27th, 2004 is when okay. I was diagnosed. And, and like I said, it was, you know, my first year of law school, the day before my 23rd birthday. Um, so, you know, birthdays kind of became a bummer for a while after that. And, um, you know, things progressed. I, uh, I did end up, um, having a spinal tap a few months later and my levels were extremely elevated. Um, though I had six lesions on my brain when they diagnosed me with MS, which is why they didn't even do the spinal tap, um, immediately. Cause I know MS can be very difficult to diagnose. That was not the case for me because I had six active lesions at that time. You know, it's very interesting you say that because sometimes, well, when I was diagnosed, they said, we don't know how many lesions you have because I had so many, but they weren't able to say you have two on your spinal cord and that's why you can't feel anything all over your body. Yeah. So um, the fact that they could count them um, was kind of nice because then you have a measuring point. Um, so what happened um, with you after that in terms of, did you do um, DMTs, disease modifying therapies? I did. So I'm so old school, having, be, having been diagnosed in 2004, that there were only four injectables on the market at that point. And, and so the strongest, uh, you know, quote unquote, injectable, the most um, progressive one that, that they thought was suitable for me and it had been on the market for five years was Rebif. So I immediately started on Rebif. I was on that for right around three years. Um, uh, I took a year off without doctor permission, but I just, I, I'm stubborn and I decided I didn't have time in my life to have MS anymore because I was, you know, new in my career and I didn't tell anybody that I was professionally, I didn't tell anybody that I was diagnosed. Everybody in school knew, but when I started working, you know, it was something that I didn't tell people because I was an attorney and I felt like it would be seen as a weakness. 
Um, and actually my very first day at the firm that I worked for, I had to get there early because my boss had oral arguments for the Nebraska Supreme Court and wanted me to tag along. And so we got get on the elevator to leave the building to drive to, from Omaha, Nebraska, where we were to Lincoln, Nebraska. And um, I said, okay, so what's the case about? And he said, well, it's actually about a woman with MS and she's in a nursing home. She's in her fifties, early fifties. And I thought, oh, yep, nope, never going to tell anybody. Like if this, you know, that was just like a sign to me. That's pretty traumatic though. Yeah, that I had to keep it a secret. And so I was able to keep it a secret um, for about a year. Um, And then um, I... Did end up, like I said, I went off the DMTs without doctor's advice and just kind of quit doing my MRIs because I, I had so many bad reactions with the Rebif. It, it made me so flu-like and I, you know, I just didn't feel well. And so after about a year of that, um, I did go back to my doctor and I was having a really bad relapse. And so at that point, they decided to put me on Tysabri, um, which was fairly new on the market. And I was on Tysabri for about three years. And then um, my JC uh, virus levels, the John Cunningham virus um, that causes PML, which was something that came out early on when um, Tysabri came on the market. And Tysabri was actually pulled from the market for a while when, when they discovered that people were developing this brain infection called PML. Um, so my levels for the JC virus, which ultimately is what causes the PML, um, were so high that they took me off of that. Um, my doctor wasn't quite sure what to do with me. And so then he just put me on Copaxone. So this is number four. No, this is three. This is three. Yeah. Okay. One was Rebif, two was, well, then I, then I took my break where I don't have MS anymore. Like that's what I did in my mind. I just went into denial and decided, you know what? Nope. I don't have time for this. I'm a lawyer stupid. So, so I had the year gap. So that's why it seems more like more. Okay. Um, and so did the Tysabri for quite a while and, you know, and ultimately had to open up to my boss and to the firm that I worked for that I had MS, you know, and I had been working there for a year and they were all shocked and, and honestly horrified because all they knew about were the cases that we had with people with debilitating MS, you know, that were in nursing homes and, and so it was scary. Um, but yeah, after a while, um, I had to quit the Tysabri. Um, my doctor just immediately put me on Copaxone. I was on that for a whopping two months and had another really bad relapse. And he said, you know, obviously this isn't working. We need to do something else. And so he put me on Tecfidera and that was brand new to the market. So I was one of the first people that got Tecfidera when it came on the market um, and, oh gosh, I'd have to look at the paperwork to remember what year that is. It's, you know, it's obviously it's 17 and a half years that I've been dealing yeah. with. This. So, um, in any case, I ended up being on Tecfidera for five years. Um, and it worked fairly well for me for quite a while. I mean, I did still relapse, you know, every year or so, um, the side effects again, weren't great. Um, I lost 20 pounds, um, because it, I, I could use some of that then. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And at the time I, I, used, I needed it because I had been on steroids. And so it was good to lose all the steroids on mm. uh, steroid weight. Um, and then, um, you know, actually not long after starting Tech Federa, I participated in a study at the University of Iowa under Dr. Terry Walls doing the paleo diet for MS. And so I lost more weight, which was again, fine because I'd been on so many steroids 
um, and, you know, continued on the Tecfid era. The paleo diet definitely helped. And my doctor was very pleased to see that some of my lesions were getting smaller and, and things were improving in that respect. Um, but ultimately after five years, the Tecfid era didn't work anymore. And so my doctor put me on Jelenia and I was only on that for, I don't know, three months maybe four-ish months. It wasn't very long. And I was having some really bad side effects and my doctor just was not comfortable with keeping me on it, even though I said it's worth me fighting through and actually staying on this med because, you know, I mean, options are limited at that point, you know, like I was always being put on the newest and the strongest because my MS was so aggressive. So and let me ask you at this point, what are your lingering MS effects in your body? numbness like, or what, what was still happening to date or at that point, at that point, at that point. And I guess I should back up a little bit because, um, I had, I was actually became disabled in 2015 while I was on tech Federa. Um, my cognitive dysfunction and my chronic fatigue were so bad that I couldn't work anymore. And that was about three years in on the Tecfid era. And so I continued on the Tecfid era for two more years after disability and then tried the Jelenia and, um, you know, it, it didn't work. And, um, so, you know, ultimately that led me down the path to receiving HSCT, um, because I was out of options, you know, at that point, you know, there were three options on the table. I could either get HSCT or I, I could have, Lemtrada or Acrovis and Lemtrada causes kidney issues. Well, I only have one kidney, so that was off the table. And Acrovis, um, there's a risk of cancer and I already have a high family risk of cancer. So that was kind of scary too. But at the end of the day, you know, choosing the lesser of two evils, Acrovis seemed like it was going to be the lesser of the two. But fortunately for me, I did get into the stem cell transplant study with Dr. Burt at Northwestern Medicine. Um, I, want, I do want to ask um, real quick if when you did the um, the walls protocol and that autoimmune, mm -hmm. did that um, change any functions in your body at all? Did it your symptoms of MS lessen? They did. They did. And so I have kept up with paleo um, pretty consistently. I do cheat from time to time, um, you know, and especially when I was having relapses, you know, I can't do the food prep and the regular shopping that you need to do in order to follow a paleo diet because it's, you know, a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables and, um, you know, which requires regular shopping. And when I'm sick, you know, I couldn't do that. And, you know, and I was, by myself, you know, living alone. And, um, so it, you know, it was what it was. So you did it, it helped, but did not relieve all your symptoms. No. You're continuing to have relapses. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. just wanted to get that, that full picture. So, yeah. and Julie did the same, um, treatment, right, Julie? I did. Um, so I was actually technically treated before Cassidy calendar wise, um, and that I was treated by the same doctor, Dr. Bird at Northwestern in Chicago, um, in February of 2018. But my story is almost the exact reverse of Cassidy's and that I was released from the hospital after my stem cell transplant, two weeks before my two year diagnosiversary, I call it. 
So, um, and I'm just over three years post-transplant right now. So I'm ecstatic to say that I've been in remission from NMS um, longer than I was sick with it. So when you um, were first diagnosed, what kind of symptoms were you having? Um, so I was one, a lot of people, like Cassidy said, have, you know, lingering issues uh, that takes a while to get diagnosed. Um, but I actually had, I was having some migraine type headaches in January of 2016. Um, and my mom has migraines, like there's a history of migraines in her family that like all her sisters kind of all developed them around, um, their late twenties. Uh, so I was 29 at the time. Uh, my primary care doctor actually did a brain MRI in January of 2016, just to make sure there was nothing crazy going on as he said. And it was just you know, typical migraines, whatever. And it was, I mean, my MRI in January was completely clean. So they said migraines gave me some medicine to take when I thought I felt one coming on. Um, but they never really went away and they just progressively got worse. Um, and right at that same time, I was actually, Four, four and a half years out of law school. Um, so I had just decided to go out on my own and start my own law practice actually at the exact same time in January of 2016 when my migraine started. So again, I was like, migraines, fine, whatever. I don't even have time for that. So I'm just going to do 10 times more than I was doing when all I have is migraines and it's fine and you know, whatever. And so I went into work one Monday morning and it was the day after St. Patrick's Day or St. Patrick's Day being celebrated in Chicago. Um, and if you've ever seen or even heard of the St. Patrick's Day celebrations in Chicago. Um, don't they have the Green River? They yeah. dye the river green. It's like one, of, I don't know if it's like the second or third, like biggest city in the country to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. Okay. Yeah. And so when I came to work on Monday, walking a little crooked and slurring my words, not that in any way, shape or form would I have ever gone to work drunk, ever. Um, let's just put that on the record. I mean, we're not accusing you of anything, Julie. <laughs> well, but my boss and my secretary apparently were. I mean, they didn't say anything to me, oh, no. but I came in that morning and I was getting ready for court and my secretary was helping me grab the files and put everything together. And I was just like, my eyes were fuzzy. I couldn't quite see straight. And I mean, I had been drinking the day before, but not enough to still be feeling like that. <laughs> I mean, I drove myself to work and was fine. But then all of a sudden my eyes started going weird. And I remember walking down the hallway to leave my office for court. And I turned the corner and I hit the wall. Like it just jumped out of nowhere. And my boss kind of looked at me and was like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, that was weird. But yeah, I'm fine. All right, I'm going to court. See you later. So I went to court and I did my thing. And I remember standing in front of the judge and I couldn't read the paper that was in front of me. And I had to like wind up holding it all the way up like this. So the judge was like, 
did you forget your glasses, counsel? I was like, I don't know. I don't even wear glasses. No, but you know, I'm okay. So when I was walking back to my office, I remember having to close to cover one eye to be able to look both ways in traffic, crossing streets in downtown Chicago. And I literally felt unsafe because I couldn't tell if the cars were close or how fast they were moving. It was like my vision was just deteriorating almost minute by minute. And so when I got back to the office, I called my mom, who is a nurse, and explained to her what was going on. And then while I was on the phone with her, I literally started feeling feeling numb sounds weird, but I started feeling numb, like on my side. And as I'm having a 30 minute conversation with her, basically in hindsight, she's telling me she's going into a panic at her work, listening to this, thinking she's on the phone with her 29 year old daughter, who's currently having a stroke. As I'm explaining to her, I feel my whole left side is starting to go numb mom. And like, my eyes are weird. And I never remember that part of the story until Cassidy just mentioned it. She told me to go into the bathroom and look in the mirror and stick my tongue out and tell her what it looks like. And I was like, oh, that's weird. It goes all the way to the left. And she was like, all right, I just got in the car. I'm leaving my office right now. I'll be at your office in about 15 minutes. You're done for the day. Like I'm picking you up and, you know, we're going. I called, she had her neurologist from her migraines. So she called her neurologist's office and they were like, you need to come straight to the hospital. They were essentially waiting for me when we got there. I mean, we still had to wait for six hours, of course, but they were ready to see me once I, it was my turn. <laughs> they knew you were coming. By the time I actually got my name called, they had to put me in a wheelchair to get me to the bed because I was literally dragging my leg and I had gone completely numb from the left side of my chest down and was limping and dragging my left leg and couldn't see straight. Julie, what were you thinking? What, What did you think was happening to you? I figured I was having a stroke, but everyone was too afraid to tell me. And I figured they were too afraid because I had a family member who two years ago or two years previously had had a massive stroke. And so I just figured that's what was happening and they didn't want to freak me out and have me think that exactly, you know, how debilitating it was to her was going to happen to me. And I mean, my aunt's, you know, 50 something, I'm 29. And so I thought that's what it is. They're just not telling me and nobody really knows how bad it's going to get. So we'll just wait and see. And I figured it couldn't be anything super bad because two months ago, my brain was fine. I mean, it didn't even, it didn't click to me that it could be something that had been building or, you know, something that was going to be with me forever if it wasn't there two months ago. Sure, of course. So of course they sent me for an MRI and when they came back um, with the results, they basically said, you know, Typically you have, you know, we don't diagnose people right away, but you know, your MRI lit up like a Christmas tree. There are so many lesions in your brain. We can't count them. There's two, there's a massive one in your cervical spine and three large ones on my actual spinal column, which like you said, makes sense why you can't 
walk or feel anything. And, um, yeah. And so the doctor was like, so, you know, you have multiple sclerosis and, you know, do you have any questions? And I said, <laughs> um, like, you don't have, you like, you know, everything about MS. I was like, yeah, I guess my question is what is MS? I have no idea what it was. See? I had no freaking clue. Wow. And I was just like, I was like, well, what is MS? And he just kind of looked at me like, I mean, how do you answer that in like a one or two, you know, like he looked as like, he didn't have an answer as much as I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. And I just looked at my mom who clearly as a nurse knew what it was. And she was just like silent mom bawling. And I just looked at the doctor and was like, never mind. That says it all. I'm good. I don't, I don't need (laughs) to know how to tell you your life has changed completely. Yeah. I don't need to know exactly what it is right now, but I know it's real freaking bad by the look on mom's face. And then he was like, well, you know, we'll send someone in and they'll bring you pamphlets and all this kind of stuff. And oh yeah, don't Google it. And (laughs) we'll be back, you know, in a little bit to talk about it more. So, you know, what do I do when he walks out of the room? And my mom's like, okay, well, I'm going to go, you know, make a phone call. I'm like, all right, bye. What the frick is MS? Oh my God. It's like wheelchairs, um, you know, canes, basically your life is over, but you're not going to die of it. You're just going to like slowly suffer from from the inside out until your life is miserable and horrible. And then you'll oh. still have to live with it for a while is like what the gist I got was. And, and by the way, um, MS has the highest rate of alcoholism and addiction of all the autoimmune diseases. So there's that on top of it to think about. Well, well and that's probably part of when, you know, you get diagnosed. They're like, you got to stay in the hospital and get steroids for five days because, you know, that's the first thing I wanted to do was like, um, wait, actually, my first question is, is there a glass of wine I can get somewhere? Like, I don't care that it's also really bad for inflammation. I don't care. Like, no. If I can just pipe in really quick, Julie and I are both lawyers. And so part of the way that I was able to hide my MS when I was having relapses and practicing law, like I had a, you know, I had a bad bout of vertigo from it. You know, you know, I had balance issues, various different things that happened over the years. And there was an instance, you know, very much like Julie, like where I ran into a wall and everybody's like, what the heck, Cassidy, are you drunk? And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, whatever. Because as lawyers, it's stereotypically okay to be an alcoholic. Like that's- I mean, as long as it's not 9 a.m. and you just showed up for work, exactly. like in my diagnosis. <laughs> exactly. And so like, it was more socially acceptable for people, for me to allow people to think that I was a drunk than for, because mm-hmm. there are so many drunk lawyers. Like, well, especially up- like, later in the day like if you're doing networking things after work I mean on a good day you could make it to five o'clock and come home and crawl into your bed but if you had to you know socialize or do a dinner or whatever and you know like when I was diagnosed I didn't even realize I was slurring my words like the cognition doesn't click to you the way that you're presenting yourself, I didn't even notice I was limping until yeah. someone initially pointed it out to me. So yeah, the other day I'm having a meeting with my two bosses and one of them's like, something is wrong with you, Edie. And I'm like, really? I think I'm fine. She goes, no, 
something's going on. And luckily they know. So they saw it and recognized it. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the next day I woke up with crazy vertigo. So something was happening. Right. But I needed her to tell me because I didn't think I I thought I was fine. So I get it. Now, let me ask you guys. So you both have had the HSCT, right? But Julie, you didn't have any DMTs before that? So technically I had two. Um, When I was first diagnosed, they basically gave me four different ones and told me to read the side effects and whatever side effects I thought were most tolerable to pick that one. Like there was Mm -hmm. no difference between any of them. So I got to choose between um, daily injections, which at the time I had no experience with needles or insulin or anything like that. So it was give yourself daily shots, uh, one that would potentially make you lose your hair, one that came with the risk of the deadly brain disease, um, which all the symptoms, you know, be diagnosed with that were the same as MS. So there was really no way to know until you were dead of the fatal brain disease. And the other one was a pill, but it might give you stomach issues. So I was like, all right, I'll take the pill with stomach issues for sure. No problem. Yeah. (laughs) See, I know because I, yeah. Stomach issues is the understatement of the century. I went from having two relapses that took my vision and my ability to walk so I couldn't leave the house to going on this drug and regaining my vision and ability to walk and not feeling comfortable being more than five minutes from a bathroom, maybe 30 on a good day. I was sick all the time. It was miserable. Like I did it for after two months, I finally called my neurologist and was like, this is ridiculous. I can't even go to work. I can't, like I feel physically fine, but I can't go to work because I can't sit in the car for 30 minutes. And they told me, well, sometimes it takes six months or so to adjust. So give it six months. And if it doesn't work, we'll find something else. And I was like, I am not going to sit in the bathroom for six months. I'm sorry. Like if you're telling me that that's the only option you're fired. So I fired her and got another MS an MS specialist this time who basically was like, yeah, your old doctor was an idiot, didn't know what they were talking about. You should have gone straight on to the strongest drug that we have on the market right now, which was Tysabri, the one with the fatal brain disease. Mm. But he was like, none of this other stuff is going to work. I mean, I can put you on any of these other ones, and it's only a matter of time until you fail it. And when I first met with him, I'll never forget. I was, I had just turned 30 and he had reviewed all my MRIs, you know, so seen all of my imaging before I walked into his office and he looked at me and like his jaw dropped open when my mom and I walked in and he goes, I don't know. I don't know if I have the right room. He thought I was a different patient because he couldn't believe that given what my MRIs looked like, I was walking like a normal person. And he was like, I, you know, you never know what's going to happen with MS, but you need to mentally prepare yourself to be in a wheelchair primarily, like by the time you're 35, if you continue to progress at this level. And so basically I was looking at five years is what he told me. And my only hope was this once a month infusion that 
may give me this fatal brain disease. And I'm like, all right, well, wheelchair bound at 35 at that point, being dead sounded better. Like, especially because I don't know what between wheelchair bound at 35, does that mean I'm going to be a vegetable at 50, but still have like all my cognition, just not my body. Like to me, I took that as I got not a death sentence, but almost worse. Yeah. It just sounds like they're giving up on you, honestly, when they say that. And uh, I, you know, when I first got um, diagnosed, I was like, and not in denial, but I just kept living my life regularly. And then um, I met some people and we started going to the dinners that the drug reps have. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to learn about different um, disease modifying therapies. And everybody in the room was always like seriously disabled. Mm-hmm. They had difficulty walking, their balance was off, lots of wheelchairs in the room. Um, and I had to stop going because I couldn't think of my future that way. I needed to do something different for me. So tell us, we see why you stumbled upon the HSCT. Um, cause in my view, it seemed like you were both desperate to live. You're smart mm-hmm. ladies. Um, you had ambition. Um, I, it's interesting that you guys both went to the same doctor and you're both in the same profession and things. So (laughs) tell us a a little bit about, um, the, your HSCT journey and what that entailed, because for me, I don't know if I could do that. Um, and I think you guys are both very strong people for having gone through that. Um, because I've seen pictures of you both when, um, those things are occurring and wow. So, um, let's. Let's chat about that a bit. Um, well, you know, I know, as I mentioned, um, I think that, you know, Julie's journey is a little bit different and happened before mine. But basically what happened to me was in 2019, at the very beginning of the year, I was on a cruise with one of my closest friends. Um, we were doing a 14-day Panama Canal cruise. And, um, on day two, we were at sea and, um, the left side of my face from my cheek up and then all the way around my head went numb. So I knew I was having another relapse. So at dinner that night, I made sure I got a couple of drinks into her, um, before I told her that I was having a relapse because I knew she would freak out and she did in fact freak out and said, okay, you know, our next stop in Mexico, we're getting off and we're flying back. And I said, absolutely not, because all they're going to do is pump me full of steroids. We've been planning this trip. I want to do this trip. Let's do this. When we get back, I'll deal with things. And so when I did get home, I called my doctor on Monday morning and said, pretty sure I'm having a relapse. You know, I'm numb from my cheek up and all the way back through my head, um, on, you know, on my left side. And, um, you know, and I did, I did sleep quite a bit on the cruise. Like that, that was one of the weird things with my, all the relapses I had, it always started like my fatigue would get significantly worse. Like I always had fatigue, but it would get way worse where the stimulants that I was prescribed, I could take those and go right back to sleep for 12 hours. You know, that was always kind of a telltale sign that something was going on. And so he, before he, I I was, he scheduled me for an MRI on Tuesday, but before that, like he scheduled me to start steroids right away that day on Monday. And I was doing them outpatient 
And so um, I, fortunately for me, I had a friend who had done um, not HSCT per se, like how Julie and I received it with Dr. Burt's protocol, but she had done a bone marrow stem cell transplant nine years prior and was better and was doing really well. And, and we had talked about this, you know, for years. And I just always thought, oh, you know, I'm not ready for the chemo. I don't, you know, like I can find other things. Like there, I, I just wasn't ready. But when that MRI came back and um, I had six new lesions, um, my doctor broke up with me. <laughs> he said, your MS is at the point where you need to go back and see a specialist. Now he wanted to be a specialist in MS and he was very passionate about MS, but his practice, the group that he was with, the group of neurologists didn't allow that. So he had mm-hmm. to be like a general neurologist. And so he referred me back to an MS clinic and, um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I started going there after I had finished that round of steroids and, um, my friend Vita and I, um, started looking into me getting into one of the studies for HSCT. And so she called Seattle where she had had her study. Cause she knew the studies were still ongoing there, told them about me. And they said, okay, well, we're not actively recruiting, but Chicago is. And they gave her the direct phone number for Dr. Burt's office. And so in under 30 minutes, because of her contacts from having done it nine years previously, doing something similar, um, I was, I was on the phone with Chicago. They emailed me the paperwork. I filled out the paperwork, um, you know, the, in order to get into the study at that point, and that study was called the most study M O S T. Um, you had to have failed at least, um, two, um, DMTs. Well, I'd fail five. <laughs> overachiever. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm a medical overachiever, 100% all the way. Um, and, um, gosh, now I'm blanking on what the other criteria was, but basically, you know, I had met all the criteria and then some, and so, you know, I sent the paperwork back in. Oh yeah. And you had to have had, you know, a serious relapse within the previous year. And so, you know, obviously I just had one earlier that month. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was easy. And so, uh, you know, six new lesions. I've had MS at that point for 15 years, but you know, things are quickly starting to go downhill. And I was also walking with a cane at that point too, um, because my balance was so bad. And so, you know, I just kind of went about my life, um, while, you know, they, they scheduled me for an interview at the beginning of March. So, you know, I was just kind of going about my life, um, you know, with my friend Vita's help, she was coming to help me quite a bit. Cause again, like I said, I lived alone and, you know, and I, you know, couldn't go grocery shopping on my own necessarily. Like, you know, I didn't feel safe driving a lot just because of how I felt. And, um, so I had a lot of help from her, which was amazing. Um, and then she actually came over to my house the last week in February she didn't even have both feet in the door. And she looked at me and she's like, you're relapsing again. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, I can just tell, get up, get dressed. I'm taking you to the emergency room. Wow. And lo and behold, I was relapsing again. So, you know, just a month later and I had five new lesions. Wow. And so, and this was, and so they admitted me to the hospital for six days and I did the IV steroids and I did physical therapy and occupational therapy. And the only reason I was released after six days is because I had to go to Chicago to interview, to get into the HSCT study. Okay. So, um, 
it, it was, it, it turned into a crazy whirlwind from there. It because just sounds like at that point you were desperate for some, something. I was absolutely desperate. And, um, you know, I was admitted to the study on the spot. Um, the neurologist that was pretty much the gatekeeper to see Dr. Burt, um, his name is Dr. Balabanov and he's actually still my neurologist at Northwestern. He's amazing. Um, he looked at, you know, cause I brought all of the MRIs that I had, but you know, especially the ones that I'd had in just the previous two months. And he's like, you just have so many lesions. You just have so many lesions. Like he kept looking at me and looking at the lesions and the fact that I was able to walk with a cane was shocking. Like Julie was saying for years, they would tell me, we just don't understand how you're still walking. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just really tired or, you know, I have vertigo or whatever. But like for years, they told me. It's a testament. It's a testament to your will um, that you guys were fighters, right? Yeah. That's why I like to say that you're thriving Mm -hmm. Um, because really just the, the mere fact that you kept trying something else yeah. and trying something else yeah. because um, what that thriving looks like is different for everybody, right? Just like the um, it's different for everybody. No two people are the same. Absolutely. So what's the success rate with this process? 85%. You know? Better 85%. than like 85% or something after five to seven years. And then like, 70, I can send you, um, some of the stats that I have on it. It's like 70 high seventies after nine to 10 years. I mean, they've only been, only been doing it for, um, MS and autoimmune disease for in the realm of like 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't be like, Oh, it works for 60 years. Cause there just isn't, there hasn't been that long. So I figured worst case scenario, I mean, obviously worst case scenario, it doesn't work, but even if it works for five to seven years, oh, hands down, I do it once every five years. I'd book it in my calendar right now for every five years until I'm 80. No question. And for a while I had a brief scare that I was, they call you a non-responder if you're part of that 15%. And I had a brief scare of that. Um, last year into this year and julie actually went to the appointment with me in march um you know the very beginning it was march 1st the very beginning of um, ms awareness month and we went in um to dr balabanov with the game plan like we were going to lawyer him <laughs> into getting me hsct again you know if i was a non-responder i wanted to know okay how long until i can get it again because, okay, maybe it didn't take the first time, but, you know, none of the medications are working. You know, I, I played that game for 15 years and none of them were working. And I would much rather try this again and again and again until it sticks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I just think you guys are so brave, incredibly strong women. Uh, so what, what are you guys doing now? What I know that you were attorneys. Are you still doing that? What, what is your life like? Uh, I am, I am back in action. Uh, I've been practicing again for two years now. Um, and just recently, uh, have, I mean, after the HSCT, um, I kind of went back to the least stressful legal job I could find while I figured out what I really wanted to do. Cause I used to do all family law. 
which is like the most stressful law in the world. And even my neurologist was like, please love your body enough not to go back to that. At least not full time. Like do it a little bit if you must, because I really loved it. But um, yeah, in the past year, I've restructured my practice to revolve around stuff I learned while I was doing my stem cell transplant, like disability law and um, guardianships and estate planning and wills. And cause you know, when someone says you might die when this happens, you draft your will at 29 or 30, you know? So now it's kind of, while I was diagnosed with MS and thought my legal career was over, I think it actually just was the thing that needed to re-put me on the track I'm supposed to be on with my legal career right now. Super smart decisions to still go with your passion, but yet um, do what's right for you. I mm-hmm. love that. I love it. What about you, Cassidy? What are you doing? Well, it's funny because all the stuff that Julie has learned um, since HSCT was actually what I did before, but most of the stuff that I did was litigation. And so it was fighting about wills and fighting about trusts. And um, I mean, I became one of the experts on guardianship and conservatorship law in Nebraska in my, while I was practicing. And um, I, I mean, I helped draft some of the legislation and, you know, I mean, I was very heavily involved in that, but it was really high stress for me. And so I know, you know, now six years being disabled that I don't want to do that again. And so what I have started doing is building a consulting business, a legal consulting business. And so um, I do legal writing and, and consulting for certain kinds of cases and, you know, how to build a law practice because I did that myself. Um, 11 years ago this month, I went out on my own and I had a very successful law practice, you know, and I grew my office, you know, I had an associate attorney, I had support staff and, um, you know, and that, that part was great, but that's, it's more than what I can handle right now. Like I'm, I'm looking at only working part-time for quite a while. I don't know that I will ever get back to full-time work just because I have had MS so much longer and have more like permanent damage. But, um, you know, the fact that I can't even say that I will be able to work part-time and that I am, you know, pretty much working part-time right now is huge, you know, because I do have a case that I'm working on for somebody in Nebraska, which is where, you know, my legal career was, I was licensed in Nebraska and in Iowa. And so I still have so many connections there. So I'm doing, you know, helping with cases there and, I'm starting to do some coaching, you know, legal coaching for younger lawyers and, and things of that nature. So, and I'm much more passionate about that. And I like, I like having the control over, you know, like, so this will be my second, this is my second business that I've launched in both times. You know, I, I had MS this whole time. And so I know I can do this again. And I, I'm just, I'm excited for a fresh start and excited to do less stressful things because I finally learned my lesson with not listening to my body and overworking and, you know, doing too much too fast. And, and Julie knows I harp on her every once in a while when she gets too deep into stuff and like, Julie, don't be me. Don't be me. Like I'm the example, you know, Mm -hmm. like you had HSCT before me. And so, you know, she has had a much better overall recovery because she didn't have as much permanent damage. 
Um, but you know, I, I don't walk with a cane anymore. When I showed up actually for HSCT, I was going blind. I was having another relapse. So I had three relapses in, um, less than six months in 2019 before, before I even had HSCT. And so, um, you know, it, it was a very quick downward spiral. And I, I know unequivocally without a doubt that had I not had HSCT, you, you know, cause I was already walking with a cane. I would be wheelchair bound right now and I'm not, and I'm not walking with a cane. I, I actively still do physical therapy to work on my balance because I still have balance issues. Um, you know, things like that, but, um, you know, I'm functional and that's, I wasn't for a long time. So mm-hmm. it's pretty, every exciting. time, every time I interact with you guys, I learned so much more, um, about MS, about, um, the HSCT process, um, and all of it. And I just, um, I thank you so much for that and sharing your stories because people need to hear everything. Every single person with this disease has different reactions. Mm -hmm. It is not the same for every person and you need to make decisions for yourself that work for you. And so, um, hearing another perspective, another opportunity, another option for people, um, is just invaluable. And I want to thank you for that. Um, so before we go though, I, you know, I told you, um, in our pre-conference here that, um, my, uh, core values are growth and humor. So we've had the growth part of the show. And now I'd like to ask you some rapid fire questions just to get to know you guys as um, people and not MS warriors so much. Does that make sense? Okay. So this is it. I'm going to go every other question for every other person. Okay. So Julie, what makes you laugh? Uh, my niece. <laughs> because she's just cute and hilarious. Cause she just says all the things that you want to say, but she's six. So she has no mouth filter. So I guess basically anything without a mouth filter I love it. I love it. That's great. That's great. And I'm glad she's in your life to bring you that joy. Um, Cassidy, what is your favorite way to enjoy your day? Um, My favorite way to enjoy my day. Actually, some of my best days are with Julie hanging out, drinking Prosecco and (laughs) for her red wine for me and my dog. Um, you know, he's, he's my emotional support animal. He's 14 years old. So he kind of goes everywhere with me. He's just my little shadow. And, um, so yeah, I mean, those, those are the best days. I mean, and Julie and I just had spent Memorial day weekend together and, and did some of that. And it, it was great. That's, you know, just relaxing and chilling and knowing that I, I have a life, you know, that I'm looking at not being disabled forever because when I became disabled six years ago, there was no hope that I was ever going to not be disabled, you know, especially with a disease like MS. And so like the fact that I can just sit and enjoy life and realize that I have a future, it's, it's the best thing ever. When I started doing, um, getting prepped for the podcast, um, I started reaching out to a lot of people and um, I've just started to form such strong bonds with people that I never knew even existed. 
And I feel like um, this MS journey that I'm on currently is about building community. And it is lovely to see the friendship that has formed between you both um, in this process to support one another. I don't think that I could get through a lot of what I do without my friend, Melissa, um, because I lean on her and nobody else really understands how we feel and what we're going through, except another MSer. So um, I love that. Uh, Julie, dog or cat? Dog. Cassidy, Eiffel Tower or Empire State Building? Eiffel Tower. Um, Julie, Australia or Hawaii? Australia. Julie lived in Australia. Yeah, so that was an easy one. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Well, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> right. I'd love to hear about that. I but I guess I should say that. Hawaii since I've never been there. So yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. kind of what I thought. That's you tough. Said. You know, and I say Eiffel Tower because I'm a big international traveler and I haven't been, I haven't been there yet. So there you go. Yeah. yeah new experiences, right? Yeah. You yeah. can't mm-hmm. leave those stones unturned because that's, that's, that's correct. I used to think it was about building a beautiful home with all the right stuff in it. And it oh. is not about that at all. Not oh. for me anyway. Especially once you have MS and you got to clean that house then. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I used yeah. to think the same thing. And now I'm like, that's so tiny house. That's really appealing. <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, there's simplification. A reason that I downsized from a bedroom, two bathroom house in Omaha, Nebraska, to a studio apartment in Chicago because I can mm-hmm. experience more here and I have less cleaning. Exactly. So, and you know, and when my laundry gets out of control and I'm not feeling well, Julie will come pick it up. She'll do it horribly for me, but she'll do it. Hey, it's thought that count. <laughs> What would you do without each other? Seriously. I love this. Yeah. 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 So um, before we go, one more thing, I want um, you to be able to tell people where to find you. If they have questions, want to seek some answers for um, anything that we've talked about today and beyond. So Cassidy, where can people find you? Um, The best way to find me, I guess it's twofold. Um, I do have a newer Instagram account that kind of documents my MS journey and in things of that nature. And it's called recovering dot Esquire. Um, Esquire is spelled E S Q U I R E. Um, because that's, I started a blog, um, recovering Esquire as soon as I became disabled. And so, um, now I have the Instagram account, you know, the difference being that there's a period in between the two words. And then also on clubhouse, I'm, I'm very active on clubhouse as well. And, um, you know, and I, I go by Cassidy Chapman. So, you know, even if you just Google Cassidy Chapman, Omaha attorney, it usually pops up with some of my contact information because I was around there for so long. Wonderful. Wonderful. And, um, the Esquire is for the attorney side of you, correct? Correct. Yeah. That's why I call myself the recovering Esquire. That's a great, great line. I love that. Julie, what about you? Where can we find you? Um, so I'm actually on Instagram too. Um, I am at J E Domina D O M I N A. Um, as my shirt says, dominating MS. Um, it's also my married name is Domina. Um, but I also am, uh, the co-founder um, and vice president of the nonprofit organization, HSCT warriors. 
Um, we have a lot of information, obviously, all about HSCT. Um, so that's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me if you're not a social media type person. Um, it's Jay Eberhardt at hsctwarriors.org. Um, or like I said, you can fill out, we have all those contact us forms, but yeah, my first name, last or first initial last name at HSCT Warriors or on Instagram. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. And thanks for chatting with us today, ladies. Um, thanks so much for having us. Thank you. Yes, this was fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Find us on Instagram at Thriving Over Surviving Podcast. Our Facebook group has the same name. Although I am a doctor, my expertise is in educational leadership and not in medicine. The information provided on this show is for community building purposes and not meant to provide medical advice. Should you have medical questions that you need answered, please consult your medical professional. We'll see you next time as we chat it up on another episode of Thriving Over Surviving Podcast.